Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm, servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. How Wall Street turned our loans into a Ponzi scheme with no end in sight. It's up to you, and maybe me, to stop it. And if we do, you get equity in your home that you never knew was there. Hi, this is Neil Garfield broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. This is Thursday, January 27, 2022. Welcome back, everyone. My job is sometimes to stop people from doing things that will hurt their own interests. In connection with my current concentration, my job is to stop people from walking away from the hidden equity in their homes. They're walking away from it because they don't know it's there. I'm self-appointed but dedicated to the accomplishment of that goal. But first, I need to convince you that the hidden equity is actually there. The subject tonight is Ponzi schemes on Wall Street. As I quote in my blog article today on livinglies.me from the Mitch Firestein book, Planet Ponzi, these are the elements he suggests for a successful, uh, they're essential elements in all Ponzi cases. Mounting debt because each investor is owed back their money. Crappy or non-existent assets that are described but not owned. Deceitful accounting as though something is there when it is not there. Toothless regulation because of revolving door employment between regulators and the banks that they're supposed to be regulating. A get-rich-quick culture together with an array of inappropriate incentives to both victims and players. Stupid, lazy investors who should be better informed an astonishing phenomenon of self-delusion. The SEC also defines Ponzi schemes, adding these elements. Promises of high investment returns with little or no risk, overly consistent unregistered investments, unlicensed sellers, every homeowner in the world has been approached by phone call, text, email, a knock on the door by people who are not licensed to purchase a financial product that was called a loan. Secretive or complex strategies, that's the whole cover story for securitization. 
issues with paperwork, account statement errors, and other issues. Yeah, lost notes and a variety of things like substituting a payment history for the actual loan account. And difficulty in receiving payments. That last issue is one we're going to come back to because I think payments are owed to the homeowners as investors. And I think their continued payment continues the real contract that could be available through reformation that might avoid the application of the statute of limitations. Wikipedia says that according to criminologist Marie Springer, there are also these red flags. Sales personnel or advisor overly pushy or aggressive. That certainly happened in the demographics of poor neighborhoods, uh, people with language, English language problems, uh, uh, poorly educated, uh, certainly people of color uh, were pushed into these things. I had one client, I remember, where her home was worth $15,000 and she ended up with a $150,000 mortgage on it the after several refis um cold calls and other things where they're reached by uh, uh uh either their religious affiliation or social network the client cannot determine the actual trades or investments that have actually been carried out Practically every homeowner that's ever litigated this issue has had that problem, and every investor. Actually following the money trail is impossible because they won't give it, even if there's a court order telling them to give it. Clients are asked to write checks with a different name than the name of the corporation um, that they thought they were doing business with. What happens after every closing of a so-called loan? You're told to make the checks payable to some servicer. Plenty of people have called the Wall Street entry into the lending marketplace a Ponzi scheme. This show is not going to be a revelation of what has already been revealed. The point of this show is to provide you with an understanding of why it is called a Ponzi scheme, why it is illegal, and how normal litigation skills can be applied to defeat the ability of anyone claiming to be pursuing payment on an unpaid debt. But even more, it is a step in the path toward establishing real hidden equity in your home, equity that you did not realize you had. If you had a mortgage lien in your change in your chain of title, you probably have hidden equity and a lot of it because that mortgage lien is worth zero or close to zero. So in 1975, the number of different types of consumer or mortgage loans altogether, count them up, was five. 
1983 came the start of what Wall Street called securitization of debt, and by the early 2000s, the number of different types of loans had ballooned, it depends upon who you talk to, somewhere between 350 and 500. Virtually all the new types of so-called loans were workarounds to enable transactions with homeowners and students who could not qualify for the loans because they could not repay them. This was partially the result of loan packing, where they increased the amount of the principal due by getting the borrower to throw more and more things into the so-called loan. In the old days, 1975, no lender would have done that because it would have decreased the likelihood of recovery in the event of, of a default. And all of those were funded by a handful of Wall Street firms who were directing funds without ever owning any of the so-called loans. Wall Street security firms are in the business of selling and trading securities. They make substantial profits doing that. I was there. My family was in the business. I understand it, and I did it. The typical underwriting fee for a new offering of securities is around 15%. It can vary. So why, then, would such companies enter the traditional lending marketplace where fees and returns are under 5%? The answer is they would go there by turning the entire lending marketplace into a giant Ponzi scheme. Wall Street has stupid people, but most of them are pretty smart. They know there are only low profits in lending. Selling securities is where the real money can be made. The holy grail of investment banking is to sell securities without ever being required to turn over any of the sales proceeds to a company whose shares or securities are being offered. Until recently, that was legally impossible and morally reprehensible, since you were obviously not selling shares in a common enterprise with lots of owners. (coughs) But you can do it if all you are really selling is the right to participate in speculation rather than ownership of any asset. That's where this is different from the Madoff Ponzi scheme or the actual Ponzi scheme. (coughs) Charles Ponzi and Bernie Madoff both were selling an investment fund that initially was real and then wasn't real. The um, uh, in this and and so uh, investors who thought that they were purchasing into the investment fund, thought that they were purchasing a percentage interest in stocks, bonds, hedge products, and so forth. In this case, investors knew that they were not create, they were not buying the loans or loan accounts or debts or obligations of homeowners. They knew that. And the selling point for them is that by not buying that, they were not lenders and therefore not subject to lending laws. 
The loan account is the asset. If that is not sold, then any security sold that refer to the existence of the loan account are not ownership interests in the loan account. That sounds like double talk. I know. It's simply this. There is no loan if there is no loan account. If somebody is not showing an unpaid loan on their accounting ledgers that they paid for, then there is no loan account. And therefore, there's nothing to enforce. What that also means, if you go forward beyond that, is that you may be able to get rid of the lien entirely. And in fact, you may be owed money by the investment bank. And your continued payments, which go to the benefit of the investment bank, may be all subject to recovery, or they may be consideration you're paying for the share of the revenues that were generated by the sales of speculative securities that could have only happened if you signed a note and mortgage. They're selling shares of speculation about the very existence of the debt and the loan account, and in the reports issued by the investment banks themselves, about performance of the referenced loan account, regardless of whether it exists or not. The amount of speculative money generated by sales of speculative interests far exceeds the amount of money generated through sales of shares of an actual loan account. That's why they don't sell the loan account. That means they were creating sales revenue far exceeding the amount of any transaction with any consumer or homeowner. So the investment bank sold speculative shares rather than actual shares in the loan. And that is why when you push them, they cannot come up with any proof of payment for the so-called loan. There is no payment for the loan because there was no sale of the loan. And there is no loan account to sell because that would get in the way of the sale of speculative securities. <coughs> so they needed to fake the loan account. And that is why all those transfers, assignments, allonges, and, and other instruments and statements, notices, etc., were all false, fabricated, and robo-signed. It was a lie, and nobody wanted to go to jail for perjury. So machines did it. This produced actors who were posing as lenders to fuel the sale of securities. None of them had any actual state in the outcome of performance on the promise to pay issued by the consumer or the homeowner. That changed the deal entirely without informing the consumer or the homeowner. It also violated many laws on both state and federal levels, and many rules and regulations. And it created a void between the value of the house and the value of the mortgage lien, which, as I said before, was zero or nearly zero. <coughs> I say it was zero 
because no mortgage lien can be enforced without an unpaid loan account. No such loan account, paid or unpaid, exists. Not in the world of securitization, because they don't need one or want one. All parties are fully paid and satisfied through the sales of securities, and all victim investors are paid for a while by the continued sale of new speculative shares involving transactions that have nothing to do with you. <coughs> Excuse me. The business plan for a traditional or conventional loan is simple. The lender gives the borrower money in exchange for a promise to repay the money with interest. The profit is in the interest payments. Sometimes origination fees are charged adding to revenue of the lender. After deducting expenses, the lender is left with a profit on which it pays taxes, pretty simple. The success of the business plan for a lender is entirely based on the ability of the lender to select borrowers who are likely to repay the loan, including all principal and all interest due. Borrowers know this and actually rely on it, and according to federal law, the Truth in Lending Act, they're entitled to rely on the lender's assessment of the viability of the transaction. In finance terms, this is called the interest of the counterparty in making sure that the deal succeeds. It is the basis and foundation for what we call free market forces. The existence of countervailing interests, borrower and lender, making corrections in the marketplace through bargaining based on transparent information, all without government intervention. That's what free market people are all about, and they're right, when the market is free. The criteria for traditional qualifying mortgages usually are income verification, debt-to-income ratio, a limit on uh, fees and points, no risky loan features like interest only and negative amortization and balloon payments, and a loan term must be 30 years or less. So then we have the explosion of different incentives to execute what appeared to be loan documents. Many without income, assets, job, or any other documentation indicating that the signer on the note and mortgage could repay. They were called ninja loans. No income, no job, no assets. <coughs> Someone in California actually proved the point that a dog could get a mortgage loan. I think that was in 2005. Most loans were priced above market rates. There was a reason for that, which just increased the profit margin of the investment bank who was underwriting the securities. Um, But it was also a reflection of the additional risk and even the likelihood that the transaction would fail from the perspective of conventional loan transaction. And yet even though it was probable that many, in fact, most 
of the loans in certain sectors would fail. The investment firms were making money hand over fist. And so was everybody else. Pizza delivery guys were making six figures in income. Convicted felons in Florida who routinely committed economic crimes were recruited to sell the new financial innovation products that were marketed and sold as loans. The money was coming from the sale of unregulated securities thanks to the easing of regulations in the 1990s. And the race was on. Without the ability to sell those securities, the lending marketplace would have been unchanged. The securities firms would have never been there. There would have been no financial crisis, and there would have been no shift in the wealth of ordinary consumers to Wall Street. There would have been no bailouts and no quantitative easing and no threat to our society and our economy. What happened is that free market forces were dead in the water, and regulation was completely absent on state and federal levels. The tigers were out of the cage, and they had unlimited appetite for more food. Homeowners never knew and still don't know what hit them, and they're still buying these crazy, silly financial products that have absolutely no value. While they're exposed to unknown, undisclosed risks that normal government regulation or normal free market forces would ordinarily force out of the marketplace. Suddenly, the animals were in charge of the zoo, and that is where we are now. Except now, the illegal practices of investment banks have become institutionalized in the minds of most everyone, including consumers, government, and the media. The problem I encounter is that the very people that I seek to protect don't believe that they have any rights. And they don't believe that they have an achievable goal. They're wrong on both counts, and that's what I've been working against since 2006, when I first started writing about it as a freelance writer, and then later in 2007 on my own blog, blog well in advance of the 2008 crash. Like others, I was predicting the crash and even correctly gave the order in which the mid-level investment banks would fail based upon the amount of leverage they were using. Leverage is the finance word for loans, and yes, they were taking out loans. Those mid-level brand names like Lehman, Bear Stearns, Merrill Lynch were caught up in the belief that they were making money while they were headed straight for bankruptcy. It was an unprecedented level of self-delusion fueled in part by what appeared to be high levels of income. The loans, the transactions that were labeled as loans, were never sold. It was only speculative interest about the loans that were sold using data from applications as the reference point. Most homeowners never knew and still don't know that but for the sale of multiple levels of securities, producing multiple levels of revenues, exponentially more than the amount of their transaction, the transaction would never have happened at all. (coughs) The funding would be absent 
and the risks of loss would have been eliminated. In fact, what the homeowners purchased was a speculative interest in their own transaction. They had not purchased a loan account. They had purchased a virtual loan account whose characteristics, existence, and ownership could be changed at the stroke of a pen by a machine without any intervention by law enforcement, regulators, or anyone else because nobody actually could conceive the true nature of the transactions with either homeowners or investors. It was all speculation controlled by the investment banks, and the risk was entirely on the investors and homeowners, while the profits and insurance on the profits went solely to the investment banks. And my statement is that both homeowners and investors are entitled to a share of the profits that were based upon undisclosed transactions associated with their transactions. If it was part of the so-called loan, then it needed to be disclosed. That's the law. And if it was part of that and it wasn't disclosed, then the transaction should be reformed and the homeowner should receive their reasonable share of the revenues and profits generated through the sale of the speculative securities without which the loan would never have occurred. It was and remains a Ponzi scheme illegal under state and federal laws and even illegal under international law because it is a form of stealing money from unsuspecting people whose greed so clouds their own judgment that they engage in a form of self-delusion that is, in a word, astonishing. Today, these transactions have been institutionalized under the name non-QM, which is non-qualified mortgages. They're mixed in with conventional loans uh, that are sold uh, where the speculative securities are sold as a as a, uh, a fake pool, uh, uh, and the the investment banks keep the proceeds of the sale without ever parting with anything of value. When the collapse was evident in 2008, the largest players at the top of the Ponzi period never lost one penny, but received bailouts, like after ex-CEO of Goldman Sachs. Paulson, then Treasury Secretary to President Bush, begged in order to assure a profit on betting against the securities that were sold. That's what the bailout went for. The bailout never covered any losses because there were no losses for the originators of the scheme. They were at the top of the pyramid. The investors and homeowners were left holding the proverbial bag because in Tim Geithner's words, we had to land the plane somewhere. It was on fire. But that was a party line from Wall Street, not even remotely the truth. It was and remains a Ponzi scheme. Homeowners who tested or challenged the scheme persistently and aggressively usually won their cases. But few were able to do that or willing to do that. Today, millions of homes have a mortgage lien in their chain of title that is substantively and possibly facially invalid. Pursuing that hidden 
equity will be the main focus of my efforts over the next year. If the value of the house is not encumbered with an enforceable underlying obligation purchased for value, then the value of the house is all equity. My job is to stop people from walking away from that equity. I am self-appointed, but dedicated to the accomplishment of that goal. I invite you to join me. That's it for tonight, folks. Thank you for joining me tonight. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.